Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Grip Show. The thing that's missing, but that will soon be developed, is a reliable e-cash. Police will never have peace of mind again before we take from the government the monopoly of issuing money. It's the only secure database that's ever been invented. No, that's the technology. You fail to understand no. that it's a new technology that is as profound as the printing press or the electric light bulb. You know, you... You're comparing it to things that you shouldn't be comparing it to. This guy's going to want to cut. This guy wants to cut. Real estate agent's going to take 20% off the top. Get the fuck out of here. You guys can't dunk from the free throw line. That digital scarcity, scarcity does have value and that altcoins are implied unintended inflation to the asset class. And that if you have one million monetary networks that aren't interoperable with each other, all you've done is recreate an inefficient monetary network system that we already have today. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Well, I guess that's a good intro into episode 38. Nick is out at the lake, so I am taking over the host stand a little bit, but guess who I'm interviewing? Nick, of course. Brother, how was your week? I know it always starts off with you asking me, but let's start off with you. How was your week this week? How's everything going? <laughs> this is a nice little switch up in pace here. I can't complain. Uh-huh. Um, it was. Uh, it was a good week, man. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I think we may have talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but kind of in the, in the process of learning a new role within my company. And, um, you know, that... The, the fun part is getting comfortable in that uncomfortability of learning new things, right? Um, did some thinking on it yesterday morning. And, you know, the response to those external forces, right? Not the reaction, but the response is to find comfortability in those uncomfortable situations and accept that uncomfortability and maybe some of those awkward conversations you have on the front end as part of the growing process. So uh, it was another good week. Good things are moving. Uh, good things with clients, good things with prospective clients. So it was a good week, man. How about you? Um, yeah, it was a good week. I agree with a lot of that. Do you think like learning new roles uh, in a company is easier now than it was when you first started? One, maybe because you've done it now a couple of times, like you've switched jobs, but also you're much more into Bitcoin now than you were. And personally, I've always now actually found problem solving um, and just thinking about tough issues or changing jobs or something has been easier for me personally, um, just because it's like, well, I already look like a lunatic and I already stumped, study something nobody believes in um, and I fully <laughs> believe in it. And there's no real egotistical part of it. I'm just like, no, I just like this is what I believe in. But it helps me learn faster, because if you understand Bitcoin or at least if you attempt to understand Bitcoin, you'll kind of start picking up a lot of shit uh, all over the place. Do you feel the same way, Kana? Like, has it been like the transition? Has it been maybe a little easier? Like, is it easier to go find the information or what do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, absolutely. Bitcoin is another thing that has helped me to expand my perspective, um, lower the time preference. Right. As far as not thinking that I need to make this thing, uh, uh, I guess, a home run right out of the park. Right. Or right, right out of the gates anyways. Uh, but then also kind of pairing that with my own personal development, my spiritual development, all those types of things. I feel like the older I get, and it should be this way, the more self-awareness that I've got. And I think that that has absolutely impacted my ability to understand and respond to these external forces in life. But, you know, I was thinking about it, too. I've been I'm reading a book right now 
um, I forget the guy, I forget the author's name. It's like Waddle Waddell or something like that. It's kind of funny, kind of a funny name, but uh, he, he wrote the book, The Science of Getting Rich. And uh, I'm, I'm going through, I just finished chapter 12 this morning. And uh, dude, the more that I read about self-development and find that there are all these different principles in life that you, that you must operate with, uh, the more that I realized that, man, we learned a lot of great principles just in college football. A lot of great principles in college football that I think absolutely trans transition well into the professional work world. So, yeah, the only thing about, about football is that, like, you can't use your body in real life for the most part. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but for the most part, you have to think your way out of things. You have to talk your way out of things. You cannot um, can't lift harder and get a job. Can't, you know, can't transfer schools and. You can transfer schools, but you can't just transfer and, I don't know, physically impose your will on people and, like, make it happen. You know, it's a lot more cerebral. Like, real life is a lot more cerebral. But uh, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting um, switch from athletics to the real world, and it's very interesting to switch from – an athletics mindset that me and Nick had, for, I mean, for probably the first 20 years of our life to now it's like, yeah, now we're like nerds, I guess, a little bit, like in the sense, like we care about things that nobody else cares about, especially when it comes to computer science and I don't know, this blockchain technology we think is pretty cool. So it's just, I don't know, it definitely is an interesting switch up. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of, it's a lot of like perspective, right? Like how do you perceive what is happening in your life, right? Because life is subjective, right. right? There are objective truths, but but the vast majority, I think, of everything is like, hey, you're in this situation, whether it's good or bad, how are you going to respond to that situation? You're, you're riding a big high, right? Griff, you just had a huge month last month. You could be an arrogant asshole and and operate with that, or you could be humbled and say, you know what? I had a killer month. What did I do that created this? How can I continue to do that? And, you know, we were talking a little bit about that before we started, but it's, it's all about relationships, right? And it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, how can I act like I care? And how can I, how can people, how can I make people think that I want to, you know, that I'm like, it's like, don't act, just like do that. Like, just care about people. Just try to form real relationships with people. It's like, don't act like anything, just do it, you know? And I think that that yeah. mental uh, perception is, is big. No, that, that part is really good. And not to bring it back all the way to Bitcoin off of that, but consistency, um, doing something over and over and over again, repeatability, uh, it is very successful in life if you can, like Nick just said, really like run through the highs and lows, never get too excited, never get too down and just keep going on and have a low time preference and just keep grinding, knowing that, Okay, like if you set out for a five-year plan, it means you have a five-year plan. Five years is a long time. You have to you have to do things every single day to get to year five and be like, okay, year five. Like you want to make plans in life, just like with Bitcoin's uh, Bitcoin's ten-minute schedule, block schedule. You know what I'm saying? You want things that consistent to the point where when it happens in five years, you're not really very surprised and. Um, I mean, that's kind of what life is about. How many things can you build in your life that when you achieve something great, you're like, huh, 
guess I'm not too surprised. Like I've been doing, you know, like I know I wanted to get to this point at a certain time. Um, and now that I'm here, you think that something amazing just happened or whatever. Not really. Like you just do the little things like every single day. And I think that's pretty comparable to Bitcoin in a sense. You know, everything that's going on in the world, the fundamentals of Bitcoin are still largely the same. And Nick actually had sent me a really cool adoption adoption uh, curve, basically, of a bunch of different technologies. Uh, yeah, this one, this one's interesting. You know, like you look at um, and, and you're pulling it up here so you can see if you click on that image, all the different technologies that are listed in this image. So look, you got the telephone, you got TV, video games, MP3 players, electricity, air travel, PC, HDTV, and the list goes on. And look at the adoption curve of all of those things, right? This is the adoption S curve as mass adoption hits and then it plateaus as you hit mass adoption. And and you can see in the very bottom right, Bitcoin is here. Um, I mean, just like any other technology or innovation, anything, this is what the adoption S curve looks like for something that is adopted on a mass scale. And uh, if, if, if enough of the world can understand the impact that Bitcoin can have, I'm not going to say does or will, but can have on the world, this is exactly what the S curve is going to look like. And it's, uh, it makes me so bullish to see that Bitcoin is here. It's so far down the, on the list, uh, you can't even hardly see it. And so um, I think that that speaks volumes to the adoption of Bitcoin and, you know, the the uh, the amount of benefit that we are going to um, to have as early adopters. And just for comparison here, the sources of BlackRock chart um, and the only things that are seemingly at this point totally mass adopted have been mass adopted for a long period of time are the telephone, you know, TV and this is world population, I assume. So it's not like Bitcoin is there oh, yet. Oh, it says uh, adoption of technology in the U.S. So that's 1900 to present. Okay. So that's in the United States. But yeah, I mean, look in the at United States. You know? Well, if it happens in the United States at this point, at some at a certain point, it will get out to the rest of the world. I even think more so with Bitcoin than everything else here. It is more of a worldwide technology than it is. Sure. Uh, I mean, just the transaction throughput, just like how Bitcoin works, it's it is much more advantageous for small countries to start hopping on. You want to know what's super funny is I was uh, out working. I flew back from Scottsdale this week at 730 and I decided, you know what, let's just do a bunch of cold calls because I can't help myself. And I just enjoy, you know what I'm saying? Like if it's a work day, like I'm like, I got to like. I got to do something nobody else is really probably going to do today and maybe do that to the extreme just to see what my results are. <clears throat> and this girl was, uh, this is how I am, dude. I walk into an office and I start talking to this girl about El Salvador <laughs> and we were talking about El Salvador for like 15 minutes. And she's like, Bitcoin is awesome. I've been back to the country since then. My family still lives there. She's like, it's not there yet because it's kind of the Bitcoin is part of the, uh, for lack of a better term right now, I think it's more of the gentrified part of El Salvador at this point. Like sure. it's where the tourists are. It's where the money is. Um, and she's like, now I see a lot of people coming down. Like I see a lot of that money coming in, but my parents more or less, like they're just a little confused, but they really do like what he's doing. They don't like America. They don't, don't like um, 
you know, basically being subject to what we're doing over here. So just like, I guess, in um, to put in perspective a little bit, this adoption rate, if it's just in the United States, Bitcoin is more for these. I don't know if you agree with this, Nick, but I feel like Bitcoin is definitely more for smaller economies right now than it is for, you know, mass adoption in the United States. Although I feel like it's going to be it's going to be wanted here in the United States just from a pure technical like how much money are you paying to Visa and MasterCard? How much money would you be paying on the Lightning Network to transfer to a Bitcoin layer one? You know, it would it's not really like you said, it's like until once people just realize it's actually good for them from an energy standpoint, from a transaction standpoint, from a monetary policy standpoint. Am I missing anything there? I mean, once people realize that, I think it's going to be like, whoa, it's going to be maybe even fast. It's going to be right on pace with smartphones. As you guys can see for context, smartphones are about, I, I don't know how this isn't, there's no, is this super current? Because um, I'm, I'm not sure current. when this is, up. it looks like it's up to just past 2010. So I'm not so, sure. It's, it's probably a little bit, a little bit old, but I mean, the, all the historical stuff in there is, is going to be pretty accurate. You know, I mean, electricity, we know that everybody has adopted uh, electricity and it's hit mass adoption. So it's, I mean, all those curves are going to look a little different, but um, I'm sure it's all relatively accurate. So. Well, what do you think about Bitcoin's kind of like worldwide adoption versus that chart where it's like all these technologies getting adopted in the United States? Like, that's great. That's great. But we've been there, done that before at this point with technologies. It's like we need a technology that, I don't know, dude, it kind of feels like, hey, if we're going to go to Mars someday or we're going to have a sustainable planet, we're going to need pretty much all of Africa to start getting more educated, to have an economy, to grow, to, you know, for the masses to actually have access to the things they truly need access to. And by the way, for the chart, I think was a little off. I think it just wasn't like 2022. Smartphone adoption in the United States is at about 88%. In between ages 25 and 34, it is 30, 96%. So that's pretty, I mean, that's yep. pretty high. Do you think yep. that'll help? That, I mean, obviously that'll help Bitcoin's adoption, right? Like that's, yeah. I think it's going to really speed it along, but I don't know. What you yeah, think. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of part of the infrastructure, right, of Bitcoin. Talk about Bitcoin with a capital B. Um, you know, you think about, if you think about Bitcoin as this, huge interstate highway right right now it doesn't have a ton of on ramps and off ramps um and as the as the network continues to grow you're going to see more on ramps developed and more off ramps developed um right now you know or or i guess maybe not right now because there's still there's still a lot of really good on ramps and off ramps right with with exchanges and and the user interface of all these different exchanges and platforms being developed um but it's uh, it's interesting to look at, um, you know, as as technology in general, uh, think about smartphones becomes more efficient and more uh, more affordable uh, around the world for anyone and everyone. As long as you've got an internet connection, a smartphone, you can you can plug into the Bitcoin network and utilize all of its power and its efficiency. Now, obviously, ideally, you know, you're able to run a node and you're able to do all those things. I don't do that. Griff doesn't do that. And we're still able to operate within the Bitcoin network and utilize the power that it's got, right? That's a very good point. I was going to ask you this. What do you think is the most important metric for Bitcoin adoption? Is it people owning wallets? Is it 
people running nodes? Is it like, what do you think like is the best metric for Bitcoin adoption over the next, mm, let's say, here's my plan with Bitcoin. I want to make sure I'm right in about every five years. I want to make sure that I'm right. Because if you look at these cycles, the price of it does match what your expectation is at a certain point. You can't do it and keep buying it and stack back for three years and go, oh, the price isn't going up in three years. Dude, well, it's not like a manipulated money. It doesn't just go up like in value just because it like somebody makes it go up. It actually has a lot of market forces and probably like things running against it. So like, what do you think is actually like the best metric um, for how much is Bitcoin being adopted? How much is it growing? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think, uh, you know, price, I, I do love looking at price as a rough metric of the uh, total adoption, right? Because as, as you know, let's assume one end of the extreme, let's say that everyone adopts Bitcoin as a store of value. Well, how much value, how much capital is going to be drained from other stores of value, right? Think of gold, think of real estate, Think of art, uh, all of those types of things where people may store value. And I think that uh, homes in the United States, anyways, are like the number one tool for savings right now. Um, you know, people don't save in, in bonds. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I would call the S&P 500 or, you know, the stock market a savings. I would say that that's more of an investment. Um, but I think I think that uh, I think that price is a good rough metric of adoption, although there's major institutional players, right, that can uh, not not necessarily manipulate, but I guess influence that price in significant ways where maybe, you know, let's say that BlackRock, right, we, we just released our episode um, a couple weeks ago about uh, BlackRock uh, partnering <coughs> with Coinbase to offer Bitcoin services to their clients. Now, let's assume that BlackRock moves some of their capital into Bitcoin. Well, that's going to shoot the price of Bitcoin, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that Bitcoin has been more adopted, right? But I think that uh, I think that the wallet metric is interest, interesting. Uh, I think that more wallets that are created uh, that also shows some type of rough idea of uh, of adoption. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's a million different metrics, right, that you could track. But I mean, just just a, a metric of hey, do you own Bitcoin? Any amount of Bitcoin? Does do you own any amount of Bitcoin? If you do, uh, I think that, that, that that's going to be a really good uh, metric to, to see because a lot of people that I know own a little bit of Bitcoin on an exchange or something. I was just talking with, uh, with Janae's brother Jason about it yesterday, and he owns Bitcoin on, uh, uh, on uh, Acorns. You know, are you familiar with the Acorns app? Yeah, so I like am. he owns it on Acorn. Uh, now, you and I would both say that that's not the best way to do it. And I don't, I don't even know how you buy Bitcoin on Acorn uh, or, or if you can get it out like, of Acorn. It's probably um, like, like yeah. where you get like some percentage back and then you can basically they'll buy it for you and send it to your wallet yeah. like once a week or something like that, which I don't think those services are bad. I don't think they realize what they're offering right now. Like, yeah. like with Fold, yeah. I don't oh, yeah. understand that. Like, I don't understand with Fold. We can spend like, our fiat and get Bitcoins? Like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like they must really have a plan there. I don't really know. Because if you believe but in I, Bitcoin at all, like you wouldn't. But whatever. 
I mean, no, I think I think uh, on the adoption side of things, it's it's interesting because you know a lot of people a lot of people aren't confident enough to just put all their money in Bitcoin, right? But a lot of people are confident enough to buy ten dollars worth of Bitcoin on an exchange that they're comfortable with. And, and that's okay with me, right? Because if it's going to be one little step at a time, that's okay, right? People got to get comfortable with this. You know, how many people do you know uh, or how many companies do you know that as soon as the internet was created and, and able to be used, where they were like, we're going all in on this 100%, build out their their uh, online platforms and all. There, there wasn't a ton of people that did that, right? I mean, there sure obviously were, um, but it's uh, it, it, I think it's a gradual um, a gradual getting comfortable with the network, right? Uh, as more people learn and understand what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, what is your take on nodes and how important? Because just to give context for a node for everybody, um, a Bitcoin wallet is something where you can spend your Bitcoin and or send it to another wallet, Um you know, and do whatever you want with that. If you were to use a Lightning application, most likely you can send it to your Bitcoin base layer wallet uh, for just about nothing from just a typical wallet transaction. But also there's these things called nodes and nodes are what actually process transactions as well. And there's even Lightning nodes. So the nodes are what actually process the transactions. If you own your own node, that's really the best way to self-custody your Bitcoin fully because you literally would be... taking a Bitcoin transaction from a node standpoint. So you're the one tar- have, like charging the transaction fee. Like Strike is essentially the world's largest Bitcoin lightning node, if you look at it that way, because you can buy it on there and send it to your wallet for almost nothing because that's the fee that they charge. If you get on like Cash App that runs on the lightning network and probably operates on their own node and processes the transactions, um, I th- believe a lightning transaction on Cash App is relatively cheap. Buying the Bitcoin is a bit more expensive. I'm not sure why. But anyway, yep. having a node is important. <clears throat> it's something that Nick and I have talked about that probably before the end of the year we need to do. Um, just because you can access the decentralized apps on the lightning network via the node network, um, more or less, I view nodes as like every brick and mortar shop. If you're going to be a business, you should just just have your own node running in the back so that you can process all your transactions for the day um, and not pay a fee to anybody. But I was bringing it up just because there's a little chart here that I found. I wanted to see what you thought about it. Um, this is this is Bitcoin nodes, all of them from, I think, the most popular like node services uh, over time. Obviously, there's some companies that have not done very well but obviously overall there's a lot like nodes are just being adopted on a very very large scale this is just the last four years and we are almost double the size um but i think nodes are also like a really good metric i just so that for everybody that knows like wallets are a good metric but obviously like if you're a bitcoiner you've gone down the rabbit hole of maybe opening up you know, extra wallets. So you have extra seed phrases every 10 million sats or something like that, just because it's probably good to have it spread out. Wallets, I feel like it may maybe manipulated just a little bit, just from that standpoint, as well as like, you know, the social media out platforms, they always have like fake users and they're like, oh, these fake users are real. And you're just like, no, they're not. They're not real. Uh, Twitter, <laughs> they're not real Facebook. 
Um, but nodes would be a tough one to where I'm like, you know, if you're saying the nodes aren't real, I'm like, you spend some money on a node, you spend some money on processing the transactions. They'll like, you don't just, you don't, you don't just like throw that away. So we're at about 14,000 worldwide and about 10,000 of them are in the United States. But I don't know what you think. Like, I don't know if you think this is maybe even a better, uh, better, in a just like in a sense, like a better way to calculate just because this is how many people that are actually like hardcore doing it. I yeah. guess we go all the way back to 2000. Well, th- this is, this is how I kind of think about the nodes. I, I absolutely agree that this is a good metric to, to kind of track adoption. Um, and I think about it kind of like this, right? Whenever the internet started, um, you had to have certain sets of hardware in order to access and utilize the internet, right? Um, a Bitcoin node is not much different than that, where with a node, you can validate your own transactions. Um, and I can't speak from experience as to uh, how you actually start a node and what that process is and how easy or difficult it is. But from what I've read and learned, it's a pretty easy process, right? It's just a matter of getting it set up. And now think about this. Whenever you go and you buy a new house, or you move into a new house. One thing that you're always going to set up is you're you're going to go get your whoever your data communications company is, you're going to have them come out and they're going to set up your Wi-Fi modem or whatever, right? I think that Bitcoin is, or a Bitcoin node is going to be no different than something like that at some point in the future, right? Um, think about, uh, and, and, and it's funny too, because today people look at it and they're like, oh, well, it's so complicated. You got to do this. You got to, it's like, yeah, okay. But it's not though. Uh, do you have somebody, do you have somebody come out and, uh, and, and, uh, turn on your internet and connect your, your Wi-Fi modem so that you can connect to it. I think that it's going to be no different than that where, Oh, I, I've, I've got to go get my node turned on. I've got to go get this turned on. I got to get the water and, uh, and the electric turned on to the house, whatever it is. Right. I think that this is going to be just another appliance or piece of equipment that everyone is going to have. Right. Everybody's got Wi-Fi. I say that uh, with a grain of salt, right? Most people have Wi-Fi. Most people have, uh, a vehicle. Most people have TVs. Most people have dishwashers and HVAC and electric and plumbing. I think that this is going to be no different than that, where it's like, hey, if you want to use money to buy anything, you're going to run a node so that you can validate your own transactions. I think that this is going to be exactly that. You're going to run your own node because every time you spend on Amazon and <clears throat> you don't have your own node, you pay a, like a 10 sat transaction fee. And if you just own your own node, no transaction fee. So why would you have a home with no node? Is that, yeah, I, well, I don't well, want to say we're completely the business idea live on stream, but is this like a business? Sure. Do you think that somebody's going to go out and like venture into like somebody who's going to be like Xfinity for Bitcoin nodes in the home and be like, Hey, yeah, you guys all have these nodes, but we, we will take like, you know, one sat, one sat a transaction forever maybe that's what we should do just one sat well, per I, transaction I forever in your household transactions yeah and i think it's, uh, <clears> you <throat> know kind of using your example right of uh you know you buy something on amazon and if you don't run your node they will charge you a transaction fee to verify that transaction right i think that this is kind of similar to wi-fi in that hey you don't have to have your own wi-fi but if you don't and you want to use some public server or something it's probably going to be pretty slow right that's the cost of not having your own wi-fi but I think that, you know, maybe maybe, a, um, you know, a company that would, you know, call it Xfinity for for Bitcoin nodes. I don't know that it would be like a um, 
you know, they probably would have some type of rental service where you don't actually own and buy the node and they, but they, they take some type of processing fee to, to, to do that, which I think is kind of defeats the point. Right. But it may be like a, a one-time setup fee where it's like, Hey, you're moving into your new house. You need a new node, call up the, the Bitcoin node company, you know, whatever, whatever that would be called. And they come out, they set it up for you. They plug everything in, they get it connected to your, to your Wi-Fi modem after your Wi-Fi has been set up. And uh, they, they, you know, I, I would think that you'd probably have a couple of major platforms or services that you utilize to um, interact with the Bitcoin uh, network, right? The user interface. And uh, I think that it would be similar to, right? You've got like, think about phone carriers, right? You've got T-Mobile, you got AT&T, you got uh, Sprint, you know, whatever, right? All of these others. I think there will probably be larger services um, for Bitcoin and Bitcoin nodes specifically um, that are just platforms that allow you to access the Bitcoin network. And, uh, and I think that a Bitcoin node setup would be like, hey, pay us $100, you know, the, the service costs 100 bucks, and we come out and we'll, we'll bring you a, uh, you know, maybe it's 500 bucks. We bring a brand new Notum, or if you've already got one, it reduces the price and we'll just utilize your existing and we'll get it all set up for you. We'll, we'll make sure that you're operating. We'll make sure that you're um, good to go, just like they do with setting up your Wi-Fi and your internet in your house, right? I think it could be very, very similar to that. And then it, it's funny because everybody's like, oh, well, well, that's so difficult. Well, it's like, yeah. So how does your how does your Wi-Fi modem work? You don't know how that works, but you use that shit every day. I mean, it's going to be the exact same. I think it's funny that people today get so caught up in, well, it's difficult. And how does this work? And it's like, you don't need to, we don't need to know that. We don't know the inner workings of the internet every day, but we use it. We don't know how, I don't know how this car works I'm sitting in that's blowing cold air on me and has access to the radio. Like, I don't know how that works, but I use it because it's a technology that's been created that uh, that we can utilize right it's got a utility value and that's exactly what a bitcoin node is yeah i totally agree with you <clears throat> i just think it's also interesting you know i guess since we're going down this rabbit hole a little bit there's nodes and then there's internet connection and then there's servers in the united states there's two servers there's one on the east coast and there's one on the west coast um obviously starlink has something to do with that now they're obviously trying to change the game a little bit in terms of how can you connect to the internet? Um, who do you trust uh, going forward? Like, how are we going to really be operating on the internet? Because the internet is the greatest tool that people have. Bitcoin just monetizes the internet. The internet yeah. is, you know, there's a lot of like, I, I can't stand like Web3, any of it really, because there's no reason to basically have a fully monetized uh, web service where everything you do you have to pay for like that's not the point of the internet the point of the internet is to basically um it's a place where people can put out as much information as they'd like for free um and people can come check the validity of that and if you'd like to monetize it if you would like to make people pay for what you have or if the market demands that you do such a thing then you can do it and bitcoin is just the best way to do that bitcoin in my opinion has much more uh bigger uh I guess ramifications, it has much more to do with the real world than it does even the internet world, like the digital world. The di digital world to me is changing in the sense that there's like the impervious browser. These guys are coming up with ways for us to video chat online with no third party. They are coming up yeah. with ways to, you know, do a Twitter where Twitter can't like even ask for your information because there's no point. Like it's just a better platform. It's 
literally Twitter, except for your you don't your digital identity doesn't get stolen. And it'll just be interesting to kind of work this back into the nodes. How how will those be private? How can we ensure that you know if you plug a node in, are you just putting a target on your back? back essentially from the government because i mean hey at the end of the day like we're really working this out uh if we keep going nodes and we keep you know telling everybody about this stuff they're gonna freak out eventually i don't think this is accurate in terms of like wait like there's just one dot per country here but this is a little bitcoin distribution across the world pretty cool all these countries well and you know this this map kind of shows what's that if it has a dot it's running a node so, so you can I think this is kind of an interesting map to show, like, you know, again, we're just still so early, you know. Um, I mean, at some point in the future, I, I don't have any idea on time. Like, I, I don't I'm not a big like, again, right. Bitcoin is about uh, or one of the things Bitcoin is about is lowering your time preference. I don't know when this is going to happen. Right. But, um, you know, at some point in the future, we're going to see every country in the world. I mean, it's going to be everybody is going to utilize Bitcoin. Why? because it's more efficient. It's censorship, censorship resistant. It's, um, uh, everybody, it's has, everybody right? has wasted energy. Everybody has things that they can monetize better. And if you're participating yeah. in a global economy, transactions and just like <clears throat> paying for the logistics of things is getting pretty expensive. Why do countries want to waste money? If, let's say your country only exports corn. It's your only export. That's all you got. And you pay like a 3% transaction on all your corn transactions or something like that. That's like 3% of your country's money right there. And Bitcoin allows you to do that for free. Well, it's like, hey, um, let's put put out on the table two different scenarios. And uh, I want you to pick one, pick which one you'd rather take. Um, Scenario one, you can pay me, you know, a a 2% transaction fee for every transaction that you want to be validated. Um, we're going to steal uh, two to 3% of your money every year uh, or of your value, your purchasing power every year. If not, if not a little more, if not a little less, uh, but we're going to steal some money every year. Um, and also uh, because we're going to steal your money, it's, it's probably going to, it's probably going to screw up the markets and kind of twist up what, what looks like reality is. Um, but 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 we can but we can handle that right because because we're going to figure that out for you. That's scenario one or scenario B, uh, or scenario two or B. Um, we're not going to steal any of your money. Um, the transaction fee is going to be uh, significantly lower, if not zero, on the Lightning Network. Um, and uh, um, reality, what you perceive as reality, is going to be reality because because the money is not manipulated. Um, which one do you want to pick? Right. And, and the answer is obviously B, uh, we know that that's the answer, but, but people don't understand what this current system is and what it creates. I mean, we've talked about this tons and tons. I mean, how much, how much does, is the dollar like really fucking up right now? You know I mean? Just, just think about inflation. Just that let's just run out this logic and see what happens. Okay. Inflation takes, let's, let's, let's assume that it's at 3%, right where the Fed wants it. We know that it's significantly higher than that right now, but let's be super duper conservative. Okay, I'm going to steal 3% of your storing value every single year. Okay, so then, so, so now that means that I need to go, I need to go find 3% 
every year somewhere so that I can maintain my buying power. And, uh, and that means that I'm going to have to heighten my time preference and take on more risk in order to, uh, in order to maintain the same amount of buying power. And if I'm taking on more risk and I'm, and I'm heightening my time preference, I'm going to make shorter term decisions. Right. And, uh, and now, and now again, too, this doesn't happen overnight. This happens over decades. This happens over tens of years, uh, hundreds of years of money manipulation and siphoning off of buying power. And this ultimately leads down to the degradation of human culture and human society because we're making instant short-term gratification decisions and not prioritizing the future, which we should be prioritizing. You know, the savings rate right now is like less than 2%. That makes sense because you're not incentivized to save dollars. You're not incentivized to keep money in cash in your piggy bank because it's going to have less and less value over time. You know, you know, the U.S. dollars from 1900, they've already gone to zero. Inflation is cumulative, right? That siphoning off of buying power is cumulative. Inflation since 1913 cumulatively is somewhere north of 2,500% cumulatively, right? Over that entire period of time. That means that the dollar then is worth like nothing today, right? And so it, 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 it's, and this is where things get difficult, right? Because every new generation starts at whatever point they start, and that is what is normal, right? So for, for you and I to buy a home right now, well, we don't really know any different. We don't know prices when they were, you know, 30% less than they are, right? We don't, to buy, to buy some of these companies in the S&P 500, we don't know what it was like to buy those products or services or indexes when they were significantly less. So what is normal for us today is normal for us today. Right. We don't understand and feel the cumulative inflation of the past 20 years or 10 years. I was just thinking about this the other day. I had a friend that just graduated college and uh, he's just now making money for the first time. And he's paying he's paying what you and I would think are expensive. You know, he's paying more money than we think that he should be for groceries and gas and things like that. But for him, he doesn't care because he's never made money before. And this is his first experience, his first experience buying gas and buying groceries. So for him, it's normal, right? Which further makes, uh, makes reality distorted, further distorts reality rather. And, uh, you know, that's, that's scary, right? Because then it becomes a generational issue. Think about the, the bad beliefs that maybe you hold in your subconscious that you're, you learned subconsciously from your parents when you were kids and your parents learned those things from their parents when they were kids, Right. This is a generational issue. Dollar, the dollar de- eroding in value uh, via inflation is a generational issue that's probably going to take generations to change. That was really <clears throat> well said. And there's not really too much to add to that because everything Nick said is an actual fact of life. It's not make-believe. It's not not true. If you have $10,000 in a savings account today and you don't have plans to spend it in the next 12 months, or it is not emergency money, you're wasting your time withholding. You better do something with it. (laughs) Yeah. Like you should really only be saving large sums of cash. And I argue this now with strike and the fact that it's tax free. I argue that you should really just hold it, your Bitcoin in a lightning application and 
Okay, price good, blah, blah, blah. Save your money there and sell it. If there's something that goes wrong from a lightning perspective, I know I'm not a huge seller of Bitcoin, but what's the point of holding cash if it doesn't even have, it has no opportunity to go up. You know, if you buy Bitcoin, I'm telling you guys, this isn't financial advice, but this number goes up really fast. Like everybody's like, oh, it's not going up. Oh, nothing's happening. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, then BlackRock goes, here's a, here's a T. Let me put a T in this. Okay, cool. Well, if they put 10% of their money into it, that's just one firm. It, the price of Bitcoin is all of a sudden like 500000 and you just missed out. And you're like, oh, well, I have no chance. But I thought it was interesting how um, you highlighted the cumulative inflation rate <clears throat> and what is trying to get past now. It feels like we're an episode of The Simpsons, the Inflation Reduction Act. And if you just even look at this thing for our viewers that can't see it or our listeners that can't see it, here are top line estimates of the Inflation Reduction Act of 2020. Can you can you zoom in a little bit as you're I going think, through this? I think this is let me see if I is that better? There you go. Yeah, perfect. That's good. Okay. So the top line estimates, total revenue raised. And mind you, let's remember we're talking about a government right? We're talking about our country's government and they're talking about total revenue raised on who? Well, the answer is you guys. The answer is the people because they don't actually have, they don't produce anything. They have no actual value. They just suck it up and regulate. And that's not, that's not conducive to any market actually doing very well. So anyway, total revenue raised $739 billion. Where are they going to get the money for this bill? 15% 15% corporate minimum tax, 313 billion. So corporations, if you have if you identify as a corporation in America, why the hell would you stay here now? Uh, but anyway, 15% of your money is now going to go I guess to the IRS and it's going to in turn pay for the things they would like to pay for. This even that first line Nick, is so interesting. 313 billion. I mean, are we sure that's all they make anyway? Like, like what number are we trying to get at there? They are, do they already know that they can't get 15% and they're putting it in the bill? I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But then you have prescription drug pricing reform at $288 billion, which I, I would just like people to also know in prescription drug pricing reform, yes, some people will benefit. The other people that are paying for the reform will not benefit because now you're just living your average life and you are now just paying for other people's medicine. Just so everybody knows what it is. I mean, obviously people need health care and this is not a political show, but from a pure money standpoint, they're saying they're getting revenue from right now. The first two lines are from your corporations who do everything in this country. I mean, literally everything. If there was no Amazon, what would America what would this place be? And they're going to get more money by basically telling Medicare, hey, go negotiate with these companies, go get lower prices for our Medicare patients. Okay, that cost is going to get passed to other people with without health insurance, with other private health insurance, it's going to get passed to taxpayers, because Medicare and Medicaid are about of our quarter of our country's tax budget. I mean, hey, Griffin, think no, about this on the prescription, gr- prescription drug side, too. Um, if they're going to go re- renegotiate, and it looks like there's a couple of stars there, so maybe there's some more information on exactly what that drug pricing reform means for them. Uh, but if if they go and they try to renegotiate and get things co- get costs down, what are these companies going to do? They're going to 
They're going to use cheaper ingredients. They're going to find more abundant and supply plentiful ingredients, which are which are typically that industrial sludge byproduct, right? Um, or they're going to uh, they're going to cut their workforces, or you know the, anything and everything to cut costs, uh, because these companies, right? Their incentive is to be profitable, is to make money, and it has, to, it, has uh, to, it is legally bound, like it is legally binding for them to be for profit. A corporation is for profit in America. If you're not running it for profit, you cannot be a um, yeah. corporation period because you have shareholders at a certain level and you're recognized uh, in a way that you are only supposed to do what's best for your shareholders. Kind of like how our government's supposed to do what's best for the people, but, but a corporation actually has to do it, which is why their margin is the most important thing. Almost any corporation, like in terms of their product, their margin is the most important thing because the margin is what pays for everything. So yeah. 15% prescription drug pricing reform some companies some companies will benefit in the medical side of things just because our country's so whack but so so looking at a couple of those things right below that says irs tax enforcement so 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 we're gonna so you know and i don't know exactly how they're how they're planning like it says total revenue raised like i don't know what exactly that means as far as tax enforcement so maybe that's like they're gonna spend more money on uh, they're going to invest money with this act in enforcing more tax policy and stuff. Yes. But then, but then below that, uh, t- total investments, uh, $369 billion in energy security and climate change. Okay. That's interesting. Affordable care act extension, 64 billion. Okay. So this energy security and climate change. So, uh, let's take some, let's take all of that money and let's develop, uh, the, the Bitcoin network, and you're going to have a significantly better outcome than I'm sure anything else that they're going to do. I mean, God knows what else they're going to do, but let's take that $369 billion that the people are paying for, the people of the United States are paying for, and let's develop and let's invest some money in the energy grid. I think that that's a good investment. Let's, uh, Let's invest some money in developing the Bitcoin network, right? That interstate highway and all the on-ramps and off-ramps. How about we develop the point-of-sale systems for, for companies and businesses to be able to operate with the Bitcoin network? Let's, uh, let's spend some money on um, educating the people on what this can be and, and how it works. You know, see, the scary thing is, though, this is still coming from the federal government. This is still coming for – and, and they'll, they would never do this, right, because then – then this takes away their power and control. So they would never do this, right? But I mean, $369 billion and they're going to invest that in, they're investing it in climate change. What the fuck does that mean? You know, well, what, actually, what are they going to, what does that mean? So I read some of it and <clears throat> I pulled a little Nick on you. You'd be shocked at the Love climate it. initiatives that they are actually trying to start. You'd be like, okay, are there any highlights this, below or? Um, this is all from actually a democratic website. So to nobody's surprise here, they're only putting in the things that they're trying to say, make them looks good. But I was also going to add Nick, just from the, uh, IRS tax enforcement standpoint, their, their plan is to hire 78,000 more IRS agents to tax the little guy. Literally, that is what the plan is. IRS tax format, revenue raise. They're just going to tax you harder. They're going to tax you harder and they're going to make sure that they don't mess up so that they get every little percentage point that they can possibly get on your ass. And that 
that's the world we live in. You're getting taxed. Centrally planned economies just do not work. It doesn't make any sense. And at this point, let's say, let's say it all works out and they get all of our money because that's what they're doing. At a certain point, they're sucking up all of our money, 15% corporate minimum tax. So what is that? Like they do sales tax and then on the sales that they actually do make, then they also want to take money after the tax on the sales. Like guys, it's absolutely ridiculous. If you support anything like this, this is ridiculous. Just because the only deficit reduction is 300 billion. Well, Guys, that's like not even what? I mean, we're sitting at like 30, 30 something trillion dollars in government debt. So let's just uh, say that this goes all well. Like Like, this isn't going to change anything. And it's not (laughs) any of the initiatives they're starting uh, climate change and energy security. Guys, it's going to it's going to some somebody's brother in Iowa. Who does windmills and knows somebody he's going to get paid really well for the job. Yeah, it's it's it, this is brutal. And this is why you should invest in Bitcoin, not because, OK, not because you believe uh, in maybe you believe in Bitcoin. Maybe you don't even believe in a globalized society, blah, 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 blah. OK, do you believe in this? Do you believe in just spending money on anything and expecting the outcome to be any different than what we've experienced now over the past <clears throat> year? And I was having a really interesting conversation with somebody um, who's a little bit older than Nick and myself. Uh, and it would be interesting, you know, of the people who listen to this podcast, if you're a little bit older, help the younger people, man, stop being so selfish. Okay. Everything that we have grown up in since I've turned 18 has just been kind of BS. I mean, the presidents we've had from Obama on have not been good for our economy. I've actually been making decisions that, uh, a lot of smart people would argue are malicious, on the working class and the middle class in the United States. So it's like, it's so bizarre to me, man. Like, I don't know what we're doing. And we call it an Inflation Reduction Act. Like, Inflation Reduction Act, you're spending money. Like, that is what causes inflation. It is not that, it's not that hard to wrap your head around. And at this point, we, they're going to try and like rate hike themselves into crashing the demand for the economy. I don't know. It, it doesn't make it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to crash demand when supply is still going on. Like they don't understand. Nobody knows how to control inflation. I think that's what I would like to leave the podcast with today is if you think you know how to basically reel in inflation ethically, morally, uh, uh, or do it in some manner where you can still like you're still in charge of the money. Right. Because that's what the Fed's trying to do. They're trying to uh, ease themselves out of this inflation nightmare and <clears throat> still make everybody happy enough so that they'll still use their crack because it's crack. It's a bad drug. Yep. The U.S. dollar has been a bad drug on society. It's a bad drug on the world's economy. Um, and we're only just now we're in a little bit of a crash, but we're not even really seeing full on like how much of a bubble everything truly is just from a money's not backed standpoint, just from a money printer standpoint. But I would just like everybody to know they're trying to ease inflation with interest rates that are far below inflation. So what are they really going to do? And who actually can control inflation? I would argue the only person that can control inflation is probably God himself, because there's nobody else, I think, that has the power to rein in the phenomenon that is, you know, money printing and when countries do this. And I kind of think we're pretty much, it's already done. Like, I think the wheels, like, I already think it's already, like, set in place and, like, the demise is on the way in a sense a little bit, and it's going to be some tough times ahead like there already are right now. 
But leaving the podcast with today, inflation is no joke and nobody knows how to control it. If somebody tries to tell you they know how to control inflation at this point or they know what the answer is to it or they know what it's going to do to the economy, nobody knows because inflation is literally printing more money and giving it out into the marketplace. The marketplace, people don't know what to do with money. 90% of people don't know what to do with money. I talk about money every week and I don't really know what to do with money because you get a lot of money and then everything in your head changes. You're like, holy shit, I have a lot of money. What do I want to do with all this money? And some of it goes to stupid stuff. Some of it goes to good stuff. Some of You know what I'm saying? Like how good you are with money determines where you are. But inflation is rampant. And there's a bunch of people with bad ideas with a lot more money now. So just protect yourselves out there. You know, understand inflation is not transitory. The world is only going to go worse from here. And I say buy sats. Get out of the system. The network is growing. The nodes are growing. The wallets are growing. I mean, every metric that actually matters is growing. And at the end of the day, if we got to hop on out of here, everybody, El Salvador, I've heard, is not that bad of a place anyway. So I don't know what you have, what your closing thoughts are, Nick, but I'm ready to jump on a ship. All right. I'm ready to leave. But <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, you know, inflation is out of control uh, and control is the is the key word there. Right. Um, when, when you approach that issue and you're trying to, you, whoever you is, are trying to fix inflation, you're trying to solve this, you're wrong. Centrally planned economies never work. You have to let the market dictate the market. We can't control the money supply up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. You can't control interest rates up and down, up and down, up and down. It creates too much distortion in the markets. You have to let the market decide. If somebody wants to lend somebody else money, that those two people, those two parties, they should decide what the cost of that is. It shouldn't be Joe Blow uh, at the freaking Federal Reserve that's setting uh, that's setting these interest rates. Um, if uh, if somebody wants to if somebody wants to buy something, uh, whoever is selling that something should set the price for that thing. And if it's too high, people won't buy it. And then m- the markets find equilibrium. If the price is too low, people will probably buy a ton of it. Demand will go way up and price will then increase up to find that equilibrium where everybody says, you know what? This is probably a good price for this product, right? You have to let the markets decide. I agree with you, Griff. So yeah, centrally planned economies, they don't work. Um, you got to let the markets decide. More freedom, uh, the better. If you're for freedom, if you're for property rights, if you're for savings, that means you're pro-Bitcoin. Boom. There it is. So you guys can find us on Twitter, Instagram now, not TikTok. We are off of TikTok officially. <laughs> off but you can Chinese, find us on Twitter or Instagram, stuff. which, uh, yeah, man, we, we I hate it because I love TikTok, but I deleted it. I'm not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Data is too important. My digital identity you know, over the next 50 years, your digital identity is going to be important. What you create for yourself online and is actually going to matter, which sucks because it used to be a place we could all just go and have fun. But take your digital identity on down to the Nick and Griff show on Twitter or on Instagram. And it's at Nick and Griff show. We post some good stuff. Um, if you're not a Bitcoiner on Twitter, but you want just one account to follow to keep you in the loop, we retweet the good stuff. We quote tweet the good stuff, the stuff that matters, the stuff from... Um, 
maxis the stuff from you know more we also post we also post all of our clips too up there and on youtube so we have we have weekly clips for the show those go up on twitter and they are also now being uploaded to youtube as well so if you're not watching on youtube go check us out there too so bang get at us all right peace peace